See what happens when you make fun of the preacher? <laughs> uh, thank you, Brother Mike, for doing a great job leading us in our singing this morning. Thank you, Brother Rick, for doing a great job at the table. And just thank all of our men who lead us in our worship. Thank all of you for being here this morning. I want to begin by going back to the words of Jesus. I don't think we can ever go wrong when we go with the words of Jesus to start a lesson. And so we go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 16 and verse 18. Matthew 16 and verse 18, after Peter confessed Jesus as the son of the living God, Jesus said, and I say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. We studied this verse this morning, right? This morning we studied this word church that the Lord uses here. This morning we studied how in the New Testament the word church is used in two different senses in the Bible. Sometimes it is used in a universal or a general sense, and in other times it is used in a local sense. Sometimes it is used to talk about the totality of God's people, and in other times it is used to refer to a group of saints or a group of God's people who are doing his work in a specific location. In fact, it is that particular group that I want to talk with you about this morning. This morning in this study from God's Word, I want to talk with you a little bit more about the local church. This morning, I want to know something. I want to know what should local churches do? What should local churches do? What should a, a local church like the Monta Vista Church of Christ do? This is actually a question that church leaders have been, have been wrestling with for, for a very long time. In fact, for those of you who've been blessed to, to have lived on this earth for several, for several decades, then you know that, that the stuff that many churches are doing today is very different than the stuff that they were doing in the 1950s or the stuff they were doing in the 1960s, or even the stuff they were doing in the 1970s. You know firsthand that right now we are living in a time when for so many churches in our society today, they become more immersed in consumerism. They are immersed in consumerism. When I say consumerism this morning, please understand that what I mean is that for so many churches today, all they focus on is the consumer. All they focus on is trying to satisfy the people, give the people what they want, make sure that people's social needs are met. That's why so many churches have gymnasiums today. That is why so many have rock bands and satellite campuses and different kinds of programs for different age groups. That is why so many churches today offer things that fall into the category of, of recreation. Things like yoga and magicians and coffee and donuts and pizza and basketball and baseball and child care. And sack races and singles events and bingo and the list goes on 
And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. In fact, beyond denominational or community churches being involved in this kind of stuff, we need to understand that some of this stuff has, has crept its way into the Lord's church. Some of this stuff has crept its way into local churches of Christ. Unfortunately, some local churches of Christ are also involved in, in these kinds of social or recreational works. And my question is, is that okay? Is that acceptable? Is that the kind of stuff that God wants a church to do? Can we even know what God wants the church to do? Can we even know what kind of work that God wants the church to be involved in? And if we can know that, how can, how can we know that? How can we be certain of that? How can we be certain that we as a congregation of God's people in this place, that we're doing the kind of work that God really desires? Well, as we begin talking about this very important subject this morning, let me just begin by first answering the last question. Let me just begin by first suggesting that, that we can know. We can know if we are doing the kind of work that God wants us to do as a church because he's given us a standard. He's given us a guide. He's given us a concrete standard or guide, and it is his word. It is his holy and inspired word that we're blessed to have in our hands this morning. You see, because the church, because the church ultimately belongs to Jesus, then you know what that means? That means that we have to make sure we do exactly what his word says in the church. That means that we gotta follow his standard. We gotta follow his rules, his guidelines, his pattern. We gotta make sure that we avoid falling into the trap of religious consumerism that, that we're seeing being so wildly promoted in our society today. If we're gonna be a church that really pleases Jesus, then we gotta make sure that we do things according to what he has said in his word. In fact, in the second chapter of Acts, in where the scripture reading was this morning, I think the Holy Spirit gives us some great insight into how we can do that. I think when you go back to where our scripture reading was this morning, you, you see exactly what the first local church did in the first century. You see exactly what the Jerusalem church did 2,000 years ago. You see exactly what kind of work that they were involved in under the guidance and the direction of God's apostles. And so what should a local church do? Well, according to what we find in Jerusalem with the first local church, I think one of the things we see is God wants a church to teach. He wants them to teach. He wants them to teach his word. Remember again, Acts 2. Acts 2 and verse 41. After we are told about those 3,000 people who heard the preaching of the apostle Peter about Jesus and they repented of their sins, the Bible says in verse 41, so then those who had received his word, some of your translations say those who had gladly received his word, they were baptized, they were immersed for the forgiveness of sins. 
And that day there were added about 3,000 souls, and they, those 3,000 souls, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I want to highlight this language that's found in the text, the apostles' teaching. Do you see that? Some translations say the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. That language there that Luke, the writer, is using is very critical for us to highlight because it is showing us what the standard was in this church. It is showing us the standard in this church, the Jerusalem church, was not man's opinions. It was not man's suggestions or man's traditions. Instead, it was doctrine. It was divine doctrine. It was inspired teaching that came directly from the Holy Spirit, and it was being revealed to the apostles. That is what we find there in those verses. Those verses show us that the Jerusalem church was a teaching church. They were busy doing what Jesus said he wanted them to do. In Matthew 28, beginning with verse number 19, and Matthew 28 and verse number 19, before going to heaven to be with his father, Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, notice, teaching them to follow all that I've commanded you. And lo, or behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice how Jesus says that after we make people disciples, by teaching them the gospel and baptizing them in the name of God, we are then supposed to teach them. We're supposed to continue teaching them. We're supposed to teach them, and we're supposed to teach them, and guess what? We're supposed to teach them some more. Paul talks about this in Colossians. In Colossians 1 and verse 10, Paul says to the Christians in Colossae that God wants you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. That's what God wants the church to do. This is what God wants the church to be all about. God wants a, a body of believers, a local body of believers to walk, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That word walk that Paul uses there is his favorite metaphor to just talk about living right. Just live right. Live holy. Live righteously. Live for Jesus. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Please him in all respects. Bear good fruit. Increase. Increase in the knowledge of God. That's what God wants a church to do. God wants a church to increase in the knowledge of the word of God. That's what was going on in Jerusalem. In fact, isn't that the first thing we're told about them? Going back to Acts chapter 2, notice how the first thing we're told about this church, the first thing is that they were a teaching church. They were a learning church. They were a church that was devoted to learning the word of God as it was being revealed to them by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. They were a teaching and a learning church. That's the first thing that we are told about this church, and let's just be honest about it this morning. What was going on in Jerusalem is very different than what's going on in a lot of churches today, right? That's very different than what's going on even in a lot of local churches of Christ today. You see, unfortunately, even in so many 
places where Church of Christ is on the sign outside. What was going on in Jerusalem under the guidance of the apostles, it's not going on in them. They're not focused on doctrine. They're not focused on the apostles' doctrine. They're not focused on the Bible and Bible teaching. In fact, in many churches, when they gather together during a time like this, you might as well leave your Bible at home. You might as well leave your Bible on the coffee table or the kitchen counter at home, because even if you do bring it with you to to worship, guess what? It's never going to be opened. It's never going to be read from. It's never going to be studied from. You're never going to be challenged by anybody to open it up and, and consider what it has to say. You see, unfortunately, in so many churches today, the Bible is not being taught. And my friends, when the Bible is not being taught, you can be guaranteed that the will of God is not being done in that place. The will of Jesus is not being done in that place. You see, you can't do the will of Jesus if you don't first know what the will of Jesus is. And the only way you're going to know what the will of Jesus is, is you're going to have to open up his book. You're going to have to open up the word of God. You're going to have to open up the Bible and continually devote yourselves to the apostles teaching just like the church in Jerusalem did. The church in Jerusalem was a teaching and learning church. And I know, I know I'm preaching to the choir when it comes to this point. I know that here at this wonderful church, this wonderful church, we do our best to be all about the Bible, right? We do our best to be all about the scriptures. We do our best to be all about the apostles' doctrine. Understand that every member here, understands that, believes that, but with this point, I really want us to say some things to our guests. Can we do that? Can we say some things to our, to, to our folks who are visiting here with us this morning? If you're visiting here with us this morning, especially if you're visiting for the first time, I want you to know that we're glad you're here. You're among friends. You're among people who love God, and we love the Bible, and we, and we love you. We're so glad that you're here this morning. In fact, if you are a Christian, a biblical Christian, someone who has repented of your sins and you've been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, if that describes you this morning and you're living in this area, we would like for you to consider being part of our, our work here. We would like for you to consider joining us and the work that we're doing here for the Lord, we have six wonderful and amazing shepherds here in this church. And I know for a fact that they would love to talk to you about this work. They would love to talk with you about being part of what we're doing here. But please understand that if you decide to be part of what we are doing here, you're going to be part of a church that is all about the Bible. You're going to be part of a church that's all about reading the Bible. And teaching the Bible and studying the Bible and having, you ready for this? Bible authority for everything that we do. That means that when you come here, if you come to this church, be part of this church, you're not going to get a bunch of social programs offered to you, okay? You're not going to find any sack races here. 
You're not going to find bingo and singles events and basketball and baseball and coffee and donuts for your kids. No, the local churches in the first century did not use the Lord's money for that kind of stuff, and we don't either. We don't use the Lord's money for that kind of stuff either. Here we're not interested in filling the pews by offering things of a recreational nature for your family, things that are really supposed to be responsibilities of the individual, not the local church. Instead, here, we're all about the Bible. We're all about the scriptures. We're all about letting the Bible be at the center of everything that we do. And I hope and pray with all my soul that we'll always be about that. I hope and pray with all my soul that they here will always be about letting the church be the church and the individual be the individual. I hope and pray that like the church in Jerusalem, we'll never get tired of just coming together like a spiritual family, as a spiritual family, and opening up our Bibles and learning the Bible and reading the Bible and growing together. I hope and I pray we'll never get tired of just being excited about doing that. That's what the church in Jerusalem did. The church in Jerusalem was a teaching church. They were a learning church, but not only were they a teaching and a learning church, you know where else they were? They are also a worshiping church. They were a worshiping church. When you go back to Acts 2, look at Acts 2, verses 41 through 42 again. I want you to notice carefully that language that's found in that text. I want to suggest that language in verse 42 particularly is very important for us to highlight because it gives us just a little glimpse, a glimpse, a snapshot into the worship of the early church. It shows us that this church in Jerusalem, in addition to being a teaching church and a learning church, they were a worshiping church. They were a church that were all about worshiping God, giving God Honor and glory in the worship assembly. And isn't that exactly what we should expect from people who really love God? I mean, that shouldn't surprise us. That, that shouldn't shock us. We should anticipate that. We should anticipate that people who really love God, who really appreciate what God did through his son, Jesus Christ, they will want to worship God. They want to praise God. They want to give God excellent worship because he's an excellent God. That's what a, a church that's all about Jesus would want to do. And that's what this church in Jerusalem was doing. That's why we're here this morning. And so notice with me what this church was doing in the first century when it came to worship. Notice again how in addition to devoting themselves to growing in the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine, the Bible also says they devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship. That word fellowship is a very interesting word. It's a word that means joint participation or sharing. It means joint participation. It means sharing. It is likely a word here that's being used to refer to the sharing that was going on among the early brethren, maybe even the sharing of financial resources among them. The Bible does use the word in that way often. In fact, that's something we actually do every single Sunday. You know that, don't you? That's something we did this morning. Every Sunday, every first day of the week, before I get up to preach that first lesson, we pass baskets around, don't we? We're passing baskets around, and we're doing what in those baskets? We're sharing. 
we're involved in joint participation. We're sharing our financial resources so that God's work can prosper in this place. That is part of our fellowship as a local church. So the early Christians, they were involved in sharing, even sharing their blessings amongst, amongst each other. And they were also involved in breaking the bread. What's that? Well, we just did that. Brother Rick did a fine job leading us in that. The Lord's Supper, remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by taking the, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. They did that. And then the prayers, talking to God, communicating to God, understanding that God always wants to hear from his people. These are just some of the specific acts of worship that the Jerusalem church was engaged in 2,000 years ago. And I think it's important that we emphasize them. I think it is important that we highlight them because remember who these people were who comprised the early church. Remember the people who comprised the early church were what? They were Hebrews. They were Jews. They were people who were physical descendants of Abraham. They were people who many of them had actually traveled to Jerusalem to observe what? Pentecost. The Jewish feast day of Pentecost, remember observing holy days like Pentecost, was required under the Old Testament law of Moses. But now that these people are Christians, now that these people have been added to the church of our Lord, they're not worried about Pentecost. They're not worried about Jewish feast days. They're not worried about worshiping God according to what's found under the old covenant of Moses. Instead, now they're listening to the apostles, right? Now they're worshiping God according to what the apostles have taught. Now they're honoring God according to the doctrine of Christ. They clearly recognize that there are some differences between worshiping God as an old covenant Jew and a New Testament Christian. They clearly see that. That is a clear implication of that verse. And I really like that. I love that. I love that here in this verse, we see that the early church, the early church, the church in Jerusalem was only concerned with worshiping God in the way that he prescribed. They were only concerned with worshiping God according to what was being revealed by the apostles. This is something, a principle that is found all throughout the Bible, isn't it? I mean, you search your Bible from top to bottom. You search it from Genesis to Revelation, and you will never find God one time in the history of the world saying he's okay with people worshiping him in just any way they want to. It's not there. In fact, what is taught is the opposite. Remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman. He talked to the Samaritan woman in John 4 about worship, and he says that God is a spirit. God's not a, a fleshly person. He's a spirit. And those who worship him must. They have to worship him in spirit, from the heart, with zeal, with passion, with concentration. Did you do that this morning? I hope you did. We got to worship God in spirit. And we also got to worship God in truth. The idea of in truth means we can't just do it any way we want to. We got to do it according to God's word. We got to do it his way, not our way. Now, Paul also emphasizes this often after telling us to sing spiritual songs to the Lord and make melody in our hearts to God. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, and worship will certainly be part of whatever you do in word or deed, 
do everything. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. The idea of in the name of the Lord Jesus is, is the idea of by the authority of Jesus. An officer knocks on someone's door. He says, open up in the name of the law, by the authority of the law. It's the same idea. We do it by the authority of Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Philippians 3 and verse 16, Paul says, however, let us keep living by the same standard, the same standard to which we have attained. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15, he says to the church at Thessalonica, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the traditions which you were taught, whether by mouth, by, by word of mouth or by letter from us. Do you see the point? Do you see how when it comes to worshiping our Heavenly Father, the Scripture says that we got to make sure that we always make this time right here, this time of worship has to always be about God first, not us. It's got to always be about God first. It's got to be always about giving God what he has prescribed for worship first. It's not about us doing whatever makes us feel good or whatever makes us feel warm and fuzzy in, inside. We've got to always adhere to God's guidelines first. We've got to always make sure we do what he wants, follow his pattern. And I know, again, I'm speaking to the choir mostly when I say this. But I want the guests to really get this. I want the young people to get this. I want the guests to get this. If you are a guest this morning, if you are a new Christian, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that there's a reason why we have worshipped God in the way that you've witnessed today. I want you to understand that there's a reason why you saw us giving money earlier. And why you saw us take the Lord's Supper and why you're hearing preaching and teaching from the word of God right now. And why you've heard us having prayers. And why you have heard us sing without musical instruments helping us. You see, there's a reason why you hadn't heard a guitar this morning. There's a reason why you hadn't heard a piano or an organ or any other kind of musical instrument. The reason why you haven't heard those things is not because we can't afford them, because we don't like them. We can't afford them, and many of us do like them. But the reason why you haven't heard them this morning is because we don't have any book, chapter, and verse to back it up when it comes to worship in the church. It's because we're trying to worship God according to the doctrine of the apostles. We're trying to worship God according to what we find under the new covenant, and, and we don't find any verses when it comes to music and the worship beyond telling us to sing. We're trying to worship God like the Christians in the Bible. We're trying to hold to the traditions to which we were, were taught. We're trying to just do it the way they did it, and we're not ashamed of that. We're not embarrassed by that. We make no apologies here. We're trying to do our best to worship God, not in the way that we personally want, but in the way that he wants. Because God knows what he wants. And he told us what he wants. And the Jerusalem church, that's what they did. They were a teaching church. They were a worshiping church, but thirdly, let's also say that they were a connected church. And we're talking about that with our theme this year, aren't we? Aren't we talking about building 
relationships, connecting with each other? Well, Acts 2 talks about that. And so go back to Acts 2 again. Look at verse 43. After telling us about the worship that was going on in the early church, the church in Jerusalem, it says this. It says, everyone, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those together who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number or adding to the church day by day those who were being saved. It is interesting here how after giving us a glimpse into the worship of this church, the next thing we're told is that they, they had strong relationships. They were closely connected to each other. They were truly a spiritual family. Do you see that? Verse 45 says that they shared with each other in times of need. That's fellowship. Verse 46 says they spent quality time together. They spent time together in the worship assembly. That's the first part of verse 46 when it talks about day by day continuing with one mind in the temple. And then the breaking of bread that's mentioned there. It's not a reference there to the Lord's Supper. Instead, in that context, it's talking about enjoying social time together. It's telling us they spent time together in the worship assembly and outside of the worship assembly. In other words, they didn't just see each other on Sunday. They didn't just see each other three or four times a month. They built strong relationships with each other all the time. And the text says they did it with gladness and sincerity of heart. They really enjoyed being together. That's what that church did. And let me just tell you something. The devil doesn't want us to be a church like that. The devil doesn't want us to follow in the footsteps or the sandals of these people. The devil doesn't want us to heed to verses like this. He wants us to be isolated. He wants us just to keep to ourselves and see each other on Sunday and Wednesday, and that's about it. He wants us to go solo. He wants us to try to fight this spiritual battle against him all by ourselves. That's, that's what he wants. He knows what's going to happen if, if we all commit ourselves to those verses. He knows that if we constantly spend time together, if we're constantly calling each other and texting each other and sending emails to each other and serving each other and holding each other accountable and encouraging each other and walking side by side, hand, by, hand in hand all the time, then we're going to make things very difficult for him. We're going to make things very challenging for him. We're going to be battling him then together as a unit, and his chances of stealing us away from God, they're going to get very slim. He understands that. He knows that. The problem is so often we don't know that. We don't understand that. In fact, that brings us back to our sermon this morning. I want you to see the connection between the two sermons. This morning we talked about the local church. And we tried to make the point, or at least I tried to make the point, that there's a reason why God in his great wisdom invented or created the local church. You see, at its core, the local church is designed 
to give God's people who live in close proximity to one another a family to do his work and worship him together. It gives Christians who live within a general vicinity to one another a family to do his work and to build relationships together. God created the local church for a reason. It's designed to help Christians hold one another accountable. And the Jerusalem church understood that. They were a teaching church. They were a worshiping church, a connected church. But then finally, let me leave you with this. They were also a growing church. They were a growing church. And please understand that when I talk about growth right now, I'm not just talking about numerical growth, although that is part of it. You know, contrary to what some brethren may, may say, numerical growth is important to God. Numbers are important to God. If numbers were not important to God when it came to church growth, why do we find numbers given by the Holy Spirit all throughout the book of Acts? Why do we find Acts 2.41 when it says they started out with 3,000 souls? Last time I checked, 3,000 is a number. Why do we find 5,000 men not counting the women and children in the church, according to Acts 4 and verse 4. Last time I checked, 5,000 is a number. God does want churches to grow numerically. In fact, if, if the church is busy spreading the gospel and trying to win the loss, guess what's going to happen? They're going to do that. They're going to grow numerically. They're going to get more and more people obeying the gospel and becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. And guess what? That's a wonderful thing. That's a glorious thing. That is something that pleases God when it is done the right way, when it is done through evangelism and not with these social programs and gimmicks that should be separate and apart from the work of the church. And so God does want a church to grow numerically, but I'm not just talking numerically here. I'm also talking about spiritually. I'm also talking about what Paul talks about in Ephesians. Will you go to one more place with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 4? In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this in verse 11. Ephesians 4 and verse 11, he says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to what? We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You see the point Paul is making there? Do you see what he's saying? Do you see how he's saying there that God wants Christians who make up a local church to grow spiritually? He wants me to grow spiritually. He wants you to grow spiritually. He wants us all to grow spiritually, grow in our knowledge, grow in our understanding, grow in our maturity, grow in our wisdom. You see, when each Christian in a local church is committed to spiritual growth, then guess what? The local church will naturally grow numerically. 
the local church will then have more teachers. And it will also have more people equipped to spread the gospel to the people who are in their little circles of life. And the church is also going to have more leaders. The church is also going to have more elders and more deacons. It's never going to be in a position where it is lacking, like Paul says, qualified leadership. The church also won't be majoring in the minors. They also won't be allowing petty issues. They have nothing to do with doctrine to divide them and distract them from what should be their main mission. And that is working together to bring glory to God and win the lost. The church will also be more equipped to cultivate a culture of love and kindness and patience and humility and forgiveness. What well, I just want you to see, I just want you to see the blueprint is there. Do you see the blueprint is there? The blueprint is found in the Bible. In the Bible, we see exactly what God wants churches to do. When we go to Jerusalem, we see that God wants churches to teach. And he wants them to worship. And he wants them to connect to one another and grow numerically through evangelism and grow spiritually. That's what God wants the church to do. And maybe there's somebody here this morning who, again, needs to become part of what we've been talking about today. Maybe you need to become part of the Lord's family or the Lord's church. If so, then we'll be more than happy to, to help you in that. If we need to immerse you into Christ so the Lord can add you to his church, if you need to repent and be restored into fellowship with God's people, whatever spiritual needs you may have this morning, we'll be more than happy to help you with that because here we want to do what the Bible says and we want to help as many people as we can go to heaven. And so if we can help you with that, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.